This is Matthew recording Jesus' words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, and these are the words that he pens. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Three main points on your outline this morning, some sub-points as we work our way through the text. Number one would encourage you to take some notes, write this down. God has called believers to light up the darkness. God has called believers to light up the darkness. Find verse 14 there in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and look at just the very first short phrase, these words, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. All believers and many unbelievers would readily agree that we live in, that we reside in a dark world. As a matter of fact, the moment that Adam and Eve flipped the switch of disobedience in Genesis chapter 3, all creation was plunged into spiritual darkness and subsequently spiritual death. As a result of the fall, men and women are born into darkness. Our understanding is darkened. That's Ephesians chapter 4. We no longer see the glory of God. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Every human faculty has been darkened as a result of sin. So we refer to as total depravity. Total depravity doesn't mean that, that as a lost person, that individual is as lost, is as wicked, is as sinful as they could be. No, total depravity, on the other hand, means that every single human faculty, the mind, the will, the intentions, the desires, the thoughts, the longings, Everything has been touched, everything has been tainted, everything has been marred as a result of Genesis 3, sin. And that's the condition that we are all born into this world in. There's no one special, there's no one exempt. Not a single person is born into this world spiritually alive. Every single one of us, without exception, are born spiritually dead. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. Needing to be born again. That's the whole conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You need to be born again. Why? Because you're fallen. And sin has darkened every human faculty. Most notably, sin has separated you from a right relationship with your Creator. Perhaps your coworker, your family member, your neighbor is that lost individual that is separated from a right relationship with the true and living God. It's interesting to note that light is oftentimes a metaphor for truth in the Bible. 
When the light switch of truth was turned off in the hearts of men in Genesis chapter 3, we subsequently, all humanity, became lovers of darkness rather than lovers of light. Keep your place there in Matthew chapter 5 for just a moment, but turn over with me to Romans chapter 1. I just want you to see how pervasive darkness is. I want you to see how pervasive sin is in the human heart and in the human life. Romans chapter 1, it's a rather lengthy text here, but look at verses 18 through 32. Romans 1, 18 through 32. And I want you to listen here to Paul's scathing indictment of our darkness-loving hearts. All right, this is what he says, picking up in uh, verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. We're truth suppressors. He goes on and he says, For what can be known about God is made plain to them because God has shown it to them. Let me just pause right there. The word plain there in the Koine Greek has the idea of shining or, or shimmering or sparkling. I mean, God hasn't concealed himself. He has made himself clearly visible. He has made himself known in all that has been seen. I mean, you, you hold a newborn baby and you look into those eyeballs and you, you, you see the beating heart and the respiration that takes place and the symmetry of the human body and you, you've got ten little fingers and ten little toes and a nose and two ears and two eyes and, and, a, and a cute little hairline. The perfect little image bearer there. God has made himself known in what has been made. Look at the changing of the seasons. Look at the colors. Look at the variety. Look at the birds of the air. Look at all the critters that scurry across the ground. God has made himself known as the creator in what has been seen. Now we'll see here that for God to be known intimately, for God to be known personally, the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ruling, reigning, must be proclaimed, received. But God has made himself known. Paul goes on here and he says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, or as a result... All men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him. That's darkness. They didn't honor Him as God, nor did they give thanks to Him. That's darkness. But they became futile in their thinking. That's darkness. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's darkness. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They began to worship everything. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, that's darkness, to impurity, that's darkness, to the dishonoring of their bodies, that's darkness, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. So for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, that's darkness, they exchanged they exchanged all of what God has said is natural for that which is unnatural, contrary to the nature. That's darkness. Men and women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. That's darkness. 
And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, that's darkness. God gave them up to a debased mind. That's darkness to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner, and here's just a litany of darkness. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And although they knew these things were wrong, not only did they engage in them themselves, but they gave hearty approval to those who practiced them. Darkness. Ever since the light switch was turned off in Genesis chapter 3, darkness has run its course through humanity. Isn't it interesting, though, that the world seems bent on talking about its enlightenment, I mean, the Renaissance of the 15th and 16th centuries uh, stoked this, this new interest in knowledge. And then came this period known as the Enlightenment of the 18th century, which was in many ways the beginning of the modern attack of the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. And what began to take place here is that philosophy and human reasoning were elevated to the place of preeminent authority above divine revelation above the word of God. The prevailing thought ever since that time is that knowledge, not scripture, brings light. But all we have to do is look at the number of failed personal lives, failed relationships, ruthless behavior, and ungodly conduct to know that a lack of knowledge is not our supreme problem. The problem is that we are sinful by nature and learning more, friends, does not cure that. Only the grace of God in a new heart can cure our darkness-loving disease. Darkness. But Christian, you have been called to light up the darkness. Having become a new creation, having the indwelling Holy Spirit resident and abiding in you, you have been called to light up the darkness in this world. Number two, write this down if you're taking notes. Light that fulfills its purpose must shine. Light that fulfills its purpose must shine. Look back there. If you're not already back in Matthew chapter 5, turn back over there. And look again at verse 14, the back half of verse 14, and on into verse 15. Jesus says this, he says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Light that fulfills its purpose must shine. That's what it does. It shines. Jesus describes believers using two important metaphors here in verses 14 and 15. The first metaphor is a city set on a hill. And the second metaphor is a household lamp. Two metaphors, a city set on a hill and a household lamp. Both have the same implications. And those implications are, again, that Christians are to shine. Let me color a picture in your mind of just how Jesus compares a brightly illuminated city on a hill to us as believers. 
Again, keep your place there in Matthew chapter 5. Turn over to John chapter 8 for just a moment. I want you to see this. It's important enough not that you just hear it from me, but that you see it in your own Bible. John chapter 8, verse 12. Here John records Jesus' teaching that he, Jesus, is the light of the world. Look at your Bible there. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, these words came the day following a spectacular nighttime ceremony that is known as the illumination of the temple. So it was a massive, grand, spectacular ceremony that was known, referred to, or called the illumination of the temple. This celebration took place in the temple, and this temple was surrounded by four massive golden candelabra that were topped with huge torches. Biblical scholars say the candelabra were as tall as the highest walls of the temple, and that topping each one of those four candelabra was a bowl that held 65 liters For those of us here, that's 17 gallons of oil. So here you have the temple, and probably flanking the four corners of the temple were these four massive torches, a candelabra, and on top of this torch was a massive bowl containing a large amount of oil. And when the sun set on the night... Of that ceremony, the young priest would carry the oil up to those great bowls with their, their, their wicks protruding. And as the flames leapt from the torches, not only was the whole temple illuminated, but all of Jerusalem set in the glow of the light. As the torches roared, the people would dance and sing in the temple courts as they remembered the great pillar of fire and the cloud of God's presence that accompanied them in their wandering or in their sojourn in the wilderness. Now, here's here's where this becomes important for us. It was in the temple the following morning, the morning after this spectacular celebration, the illumination of the temple, the very following morning in the temple with charred torches still in place, that is the very place that Jesus uttered these words. And he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, the fact that Jesus is the great light of the world is foundational to our understanding and it must control our thinking as we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, where what Jesus does now is he applies this metaphor to us as Christians. What are we to make of this? Well, we need to understand that Jesus is the ultimate light. We, on the other hand, are reflectors and pointers to the light of Christ. Jesus is the supreme light. Jesus is the ultimate light. And as a born-again, regenerate, new creation Christian, we have the privilege of reflecting that light to a lost and dark and dying and decaying world. I mean, think about the moon here for just a second. It has no radiance of its own. 
As you see the moon rise in the evening sky, its, its luminescence is a result of a reflection of the sun's radiant beams on it. In the same way, we as believers are to reflect the light of Christ to a lost and dying world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you don't need to turn there. Paul says this, he says, For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're to reflect. Similarly, Paul told the church at Ephesus, For at one time you were in darkness, Remember, we've been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. Paul says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the world. Walk then, live then, operate then, conduct yourself then as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You see, as we reflect Christ's light, we will shine unmistakably bright like a city on a hill that lights up all that is around us. We should take note of the progression of Jesus' teaching here. Though these verses don't fall within the confines of our study this morning, Jesus has first talked about the fact that Christians are the salt of the earth. And then we are the light of the world. What's the significance of this? Well, I'm not teaching on those salt verses. There is some significance here that we find in the progression. Salt and then light. The emphasis we see is that the Christian is salt. That's what you are. What you are to do is to be light. Salt of the earth is the general effect of the Christian in this world. It's the general effect of your life in your home, in the grocery store, in your office, on the sports field, etc. Wherever you go, the effect of your life is salty on the rest of the world. We know that salt is a preservative, and it stops or it hinders or it subdues decay. You are salt. What you are to be is light. You are to be light. Salt causes others to notice a difference in your life, the way you act and the way you speak. It causes them to ask questions like, where does your joy come from? Friends, that, that is incredible right now. As people are looking for something to hope in, all of their dreams, all of their desires, all of their own little written lives as they have written them have been dashed, at least in the moment. And they're looking for something that offers hope that is unfading and unfailing. You have the opportunity to be salt and to be light. It's important that we're able to speak the light of gospel truth. You are to to be salt. What you are to do is to shine. And to shine more specifically is to speak the light of gospel truth. Well, let me give you some of the effects of your gospel light. Okay, If you are a born-again, regenerate believer, having become a new creation in Christ, let me give you some of the effects of your gospel light. You'll want to write these four little thoughts down here. First of all, your gospel light exposes darkness. That's what it does. It exposes darkness. 
I mean, think about trying to fumble around in a dark room in my house. As a matter of fact, just this very morning when I left, strewn across our living room are Beyblades. It's a glorified top, all right? And not only do we have Beyblades that are just lining and littering the living room floor, my son is probably lit up right now uh, watching this. We got Beyblades all over the floor, and then we have Beyblade stadiums that you, you spin these tops, and they battle, and they burst, and they break apart, and it's wonderful fun, and it's a great way to pass a stay-at-home order. But that's what you see in our house right now. And if you were to walk across the living room floor in the middle of the night, it is a treacherous place to be. Perhaps there's only one thing that's worse, and that's Legos. Legos on the floor will send you ceiling high. We don't see these things when the lights are turned off, but when the lights are turned on, it reveals what is there. And there's a real sense in which people are not truly aware of the darkness until light appears. I mean, it's like a fish living in water. Okay? That's what he knows. That's what he swims in 24 hours a day, 365 days a year of his little fishy life. That's all he knows. And there's a real sense in which people aren't even aware of darkness until light shines forth, until light exposes the darkness. Speaking about the beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry, Matthew said this. He said, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Light has dawned. One of the best ways of revealing something is to provide a contrast. And that's the whole point of this passage. Christians, you are to provide a contrast in this dark world in which we live. Young people, let me get your attention for a moment. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian you are known by Him, secured by Him, found in Him, you also, you are a contrast in this world. You're a contrast in your school. You're a contrast uh, in, your, in your sphere of, of friends. This isn't something that's relegated to the, to the older Christians or the more mature Christians. If you know Jesus savingly, then you are a light and you have become a contrast to the dark world that we live in. That's the whole point of this passage. Every Christian who walks with Jesus, who is the capital L, light of the world, those Christians then reflect the light of the world in such a way that exposes the darkness. The second effect of your gospel light is this. Your gospel light explains the cause of darkness. It explains the cause of darkness. Friends, the greatest thinkers, according to the world's standards, can offer very little more than an analysis of the world's problems. That's all they can do. The greatest minds, the greatest thinkers, the wisest among us, they can offer little, little more than an analysis of the world's problems. They can identify the fruit, but they're in the dark as to the root troubles of the world. Christians know and understand that the real great problem in the world isn't a lack of knowledge, but rather it's an estrangement from the God of glory, from the King of the ages. The reality is that we have been made such that we cannot truly live life 
unless we live life in relationship to God. If you're not living life in relationship to God, then you're not really living. Your neighbor's not really living. Your co-worker's not really living. Your family member's not really living. Whoever it is in the sphere of influence that you run in is not really living because to really live is only true if you're living in right relationship to God. We are all made by God and for God. Paul reminds us of that in Colossians chapter 1 when he says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth. That's all things, by the way. But he goes on, just in case we needed more, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Every difficulty in the world today can be traced back to one thing. Sin. Let me just rewind that statement. It's massively important. It's simple. And it's phraseology, but it's massively important in its implication. Every difficulty in the world today can be traced back to sin. Specifically, the sin of a rebellious selfishness and self-seeking. I mean, that's what is running rampant in our world. It's selfish, self-seeking, vain glory. All the quarrels, all the disputes, all the misunderstandings, all the jealousy, all the envy, all the malice, all the murder. Every form of disobedience to God's revealed word to us is all traced back to man's feverish love for self. You see, the problem with man, the problem with woman... It's not his or her intellect or lack thereof. It is his nature. That is the problem. Brothers and sisters, your gospel light explains the cause of darkness. And not only does it have the ability to say that is darkness, but it has the ability to say this is why the darkness exists. Because man is estranged from God. And he loves the darkness rather than the light. Number three, write this down. Your gospel light warns of the danger of darkness. Your gospel light warns of the danger of darkness. Consider a lighthouse for a moment that safely guides a ship away from perilous danger and into harbor. Or, or the lights, I love this, as a, as a young growing pilot, I think about the lights that illuminate a runway to guide an aircraft to a safe landing you see, friends, people are crashing daily into the eternal darkness of God's wrath. The lighthouse, if it's not burning, is a peril instead of a safeguard. If the lighthouse is not functioning in light of its purpose, which is to provide sweeping light to the ships coming into harbor, then that lighthouse is not a safeguard, it's a peril. You see, a lighthouse that isn't burning, does not warn ships. It doesn't tell them of the impending dangers of colliding into a jagged shoreline. And as a result, ships, just like the lives of unbelievers, plow full steam ahead toward destruction. Friends, your gospel light exposes what the darkness tries to conceal and it warns of the dangers of sin. Does your life blow the trumpet 
so that all who are near you can hear of the impending danger? Are you sounding the warning that Jesus Christ, our risen, ruling, reigning, soon returning King, will be back here one day and we will stand before Him toe to toe and we will give an account for our life? And at that point, we will either be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own, but having a righteousness that comes by faith, or we will be found in Adam, and and justice, swift justice, will be the result. If your light isn't shining, you're more of a hazard than a help. And so, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you again, individually, in your spheres of influence, but corporately as a body of like-minded believers that assembles here at 2911 Coggy Road, we are to shine brightly. Shine brightly. Number four, your gospel light points the way out of darkness. Your gospel light points the way out of darkness. Let me allow Martin Lloyd-Jones to speak here for just a moment. This is what the good doctor Dr. Jones says, he says, Christian people, you and I are living in the midst of men and women who are in a state of gross darkness. They will never have any light anywhere in this world except from you and from me and the gospel which we believe and teach and proclaim. He says, they're watching us. Do they see something different about us? Are our lives a silent rebuke to them? Do we live as to lead them to come and ask us, why do you always look so peaceful? How is it that you are so balanced? How can you stand up to things as you do? Why is it that you are not dependent upon artificial aids and pleasures as we are? What is this thing you have got? If they do that, And we can tell them that wondrous, amazing, but tragically neglected news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Shine bright. Shine bright. Let me just remind you that there is no such thing as an invisible believer. There's no such thing as an invisible believer. It is contradictory to the purpose of a candle to light it and then hide it. I mean, that's, that's logical, is it not? We need to recognize that this must be an obvious temptation then for each of us if Jesus uses such an illustration in this highly teachable moment with his disciples. If Jesus uses this idea of lighting a candle and then hiding it, he uses this as an illustration in this highly teachable moment, then included in that must be the reality that every single one of us are tempted to do that very thing. To light the candle and then to hide it. There is in each of us, even your pastor, brothers and sisters, I don't have it all together, the seed of every sin under the sun is, is resident in my own heart and all it needs to, to grow is to be watered and attended. I'm just like you. I'm no different. 
There is in each one of us for a variety of reasons, whether it be the fear of man or the fear of failure or feelings of inadequacy or fear of offending others or just plain indifference. I hope that's not the case. There is in each of us a temptation to cover our flame so that we might better blend in with those around us. Friends, that is the antithesis of the meaning of Jesus' words in this text. Far from encouraging us to blend into the world, he is encouraging us to be a stark contrast to the world that we live in. Let me just say this, and I'm speaking to me as well. Whatever basket is offered to you that you might use to conceal your light, whatever basket is offered to you, even if it's subtle, I pray that, that you would refuse that basket and that you would see that basket handed to you to conceal your light as handed to you by the evil one himself. The community of Jesus, the, the assembly of believers, the church that seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. The community or the individual that has begun to hide itself or who seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him who is the light. Just as salt without its savor is useless, so light, if it cannot be seen, is of no value. But the true Christian cannot be hidden, or at least not completely. The true Christian cannot escape being noticed. A true believer will always stand out. And so, brother, sister, let me ask you, are you hiding your light? Are you concealing your light? Have you, have you taken the basket from the hand of the evil one for whatever reason? Fear of man, fear of failure, fear, feelings of inadequacy, fear of offending others, or just stark indifference? Have you, have you grabbed that basket from the hand of the evil one and sought to cover your light? If you have, Why? If you're struggling with the temptation to cover your light, which again, we all do at times, I would encourage you to ask God to put His finger on the root issue in your heart so that you can repent of that sin and shine all the brighter. Repent. Confess it. And forsake it so that you can shine all the brighter. A man whom I love and who influenced my life greatly as a young Christian, once shared this quote with me. He said, if you seek to please others, it matters not whom you displease. Uh, but if you displease God, then it matters not who else you please. We want to please Christ first and foremost. First and foremost. Number three, write this down. Set yourself ablaze for the glory of God. Set yourself ablaze for the glory of God. Look at verse 16 there in your Bible. Jesus utters these words. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, we have been entrusted with a great responsibility as Christians 
And Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me just uh, help you understand here. This language comes to us in the form of an imperative. In other words, it is a command. It is not a suggestion. These words here are a command. It's an imperative. If we are light, it is not an option not to shine. That's what light does. It shines. And what is the mode of our shining as believers? Well, Jesus tells us here in verse 16. He tells us that it is by our good works that we shine. Isn't it interesting to note that Jesus uses the Greek word here, kalos here. Kalos for good. They may see your good. Kalos works. Jesus uses that word kalos instead of the more common word agathos. You see, kalos has the idea of attractive or beautiful. Our lives are to be full of beautiful and attractive service to God and service to others. So that those who are not in the light might see our light and in turn glorify our God who is in heaven. Our prayer ought to be that of David in Psalm 115 verse 1 when he says, Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Letting our light shine before men allows them to see our good works. I think back to Ephesians chapter 2. God has, has created us. He's made us. He's saved us. He's drawn us to himself. And he has employed us in service that we might perform good works. We're not saved by our good works. That's the antithesis of the gospel. As a matter of fact, that is a false gospel. You're not saved by your good works. You have the ability to live a good and godly, Christ-like, God-honoring life because you have been redeemed. Those good works are a result of your conversion, not a requirement for it. It's the beauty that the Lord has worked in us. To see good works done by us is simply to see Christ in us. When the lost world around you sees Good works done by you, it is to see simply Christ in you. When the lost around you see your life, do they see a person who has purpose and joy and contentment and God confidence? Or do they see a person who's full of ego, who talks about themselves incessantly, who prides themselves on their, uh, their accomplishments, and who excuses all their failures? I mean, you could go on and on and on. To shine is to display a concern for sin and its offensiveness. Does your life show, demonstrate a concern for the offensiveness of sin before a holy God? If so, you will shine. You'll shine. To shine is to have a heart of humility and a continual hunger to please God. It's to be unimpressed with the world's glitz and glamour, but rather to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Again, do you see the contrast that Jesus is trying to give us in the text here? It means, to shine that is, that you desire to live for Christ in every circumstance. Remember Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, for the love of Christ controls us. Some translations say for the love of Christ compels us. Why? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died 
and was raised. Let me give you uh, five super brief, not going to give any commentary on this, but five super brief practical ways that you can be light in a dark world. And these actually spell the acronym LIGHT. Uh, I wish that this had come from my own mind. Truth be told, it did not. And uh, I'm not this smart to put acronyms like this together, uh, but I think it's wonderful and it communicates the truth that we're trying to, commu- so, uh, to communicate. So write this down. Practical ways that we can be light in a dark world. A there, love your neighbor passionately. Love them passionately. Do they see that you care for them, that you love them? Not that you have all the Bible knowledge in the world, that you have it all together. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Love your neighbor passionately. Be there. Intercede for your neighbor persistently. Intercede for them. Pray for them. Here's a question for your consideration. Will you spend more time talking to your neighbor about God or will you spend more time talking to God about your neighbor? That statement or that question, rather, is not to create a false dichotomy. Both are important. But you need to be interceding for your neighbor, intercede for your lost children, intercede for your your lost coworker, intercede for those lost students who attend your school or your college, your university, your vocational school, wherever you find yourself in the course of daily life. See there, go to your neighbor purposefully. Go to your neighbor purposefully. There's no impact without contact. There's no or little impact without contact. You must go to your neighbor. D there, help your neighbor practically. Help them practically. Uh, This last week, I put uh, a post on the chapel's Facebook page and encouraged you uh, to go to the Gospel Coalition's website uh, where you will find a downloadable PDF Uh, It is simply a card here. Two of them print per page, but it says, hello, if you're a self-isolating individual, I can help. My name is, my telephone number is, I live locally at, I can help you with picking up shopping, a friendly phone call, uh, posting mail, urgent supplies, prayer, just call me and I'll do my best to, to offer my help, free of charge, no strings attached. You can either go to the Gospel Coalition's website and you can read the article, which I would encourage you to do. This is where I asked you, are you loving your neighbors? In, in the midst of a time when a, when a whole lot of other things are put on pause, loving your neighbors well and intentionally has never been greater. The need to do so has never been greater. So uh, either I would encourage you to navigate to the Gospel Coalition's website or to the chapel's Facebook page and check out that post from last week. But help your neighbor practically. And then lastly, tell your neighbor plainly. Tell your neighbor plainly. Love them passionately, intercede for them persistently, go to them purposefully, help them practically, and then tell your neighbor plainly. You must speak the gospel to your neighbor. Uh, There's an old quote, and it's been attributed to a number of individuals. It simply says this. It says, uh, share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Uh, Well, as pithy as that sounds, and it makes for great t-shirts and bumper stickers and blog posts, nothing could be worse theology. Friends, that comes from the pit of hell. The gospel requires that it be audibly declared. 
As a matter of fact, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17 uh, that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. So yes, live. Live so that others will see your light, that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, but you must accompany your living with your proclaiming. And you don't have to have a PhD in systematic theology to do that. I mean, it literally can be, I once was blind, but now I see, and Jesus Christ did it. I can't explain it all. I don't have all my theology in nice, tidy little boxes with bows on top. I want to love God, and I want to know his word, and I want to read my Bible, and I want to be growing in Christ. But I know I once was blind, and now I see, and Jesus did it. He's the forgiver of my sin and the lover of my soul. He died for me. And forgiveness is available for you. If you repent and believe. If you repent and believe. Well, friends, let me leave you with a soul-stirring reality this morning. Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, at the conclusion of the parable of the sower, tells us that in eternity we will be a part of the shining light. Remember, we opened this morning by saying that, that in eternity there, there is no sun, there is no moon because the risen, ruling, reigning Lamb is the light for us. Well, Matthew chapter 13, verse 43, Matthew tells us that in eternity we will be a part of the shining light. These are the words that he says. Then the righteous, the redeemed, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, It's interesting to note that the heavens are said to reflect and declare the glory of God, but as Christians, we have the incredible hope of one day sharing in the glory of God. We will shine with Him for all eternity. But as for today, this side of eternity, let us determine by God's grace to shine as brightly as possible in this dark world in which we live. Light, friends, is unashamed. It's bold and it's clear. And so let me encourage you, And I am you. Let's us, as a body, let's get about the business of shamelessly proclaiming Christ backed up with a life that honors him. Set yourself ablaze. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, so much here in these verses that are challenging, uh, that expose us, even as Christians, uh, Lord, we know, just as James tells us, that we, we stand. Every time we open your word, we stand as, as though a man standing in front of a mirror, and that mirror reflects back to us the glory of God. It exposes us, it searches us, it challenges us, it convicts us, it helps us grow in godliness. It sees us where we need, or it helps us see where we need to put off the old man and put on the new man that's created in the image of its maker. Father, I pray that individually uh, we would shine brightly uh, in this crooked and twisted generation in which we live, but that we collectively, as a body of like-minded believers, would shine brightly. That we would not be like the lighthouse that is more of a peril than it is a help, but that we would be illuminated and that we would shamelessly, boldly, but graciously proclaim the glories of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Help us to make it so. Father, would you cause us individually and corporately uh, to have a massive impact for Jesus, an illuminating impact uh, for Jesus in Cape Girardeau and in all of our spheres of influence. And would you save people out of darkness just like you saved us out of darkness. And uh, Lord, would you cause them to be new creations. 
We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.